You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. My name is Greg Jackson. I'm a PhD holding historian, a professor, and the creator of History That Doesn't Suck, a podcast that makes legit, seriously researched American history come to life through entertaining stories. Join me for a chronological telling of the United States story, from the revolution to fractious civil war, tenacious inventors, brave reformers, and more. With more than 100 episodes, you can already binge listen your way from 1776 to the early 20th century. Listen to History That Doesn't Suck on Spotify. Hello, this is Matt from the Explorers Podcast. I want to invite you to join me on the voyages and journeys of the most famous explorers in the history of the world. These are the thrilling and captivating stories of Magellan, Shackleton, Lewis and Clark, and so many other famous and not-so-famous adventures from throughout history. Go to explorerspodcast.com or just look us up on your podcast app. That's the Explorers Podcast. Hello everyone and welcome to History of the Second World War, Episode 118, The September Campaign, Part 10, The Central Front. This week, a big thank you goes out to John, Ash, 3 from 2, Steve, and Kay for choosing to support the podcast by becoming members. You can find out more about becoming a member over at historyofthesecondworldwar.com slash members. Last episode, we discussed the events on the southern end of the Polish corridor, where the Polish army Pomorsia faced an almost impossible situation with threats from both the east and the west. This episode will shift focus to the south a little bit, focusing on the attacks by Army Group South against the three Polish armies that, that it was facing, the Poznan, the Łódź, and the Krakow armies. One of the key geographical features in this area of the front, particularly in the center behind Army Łódź, would be the Warta River, which was positioned roughly parallel but about 60 kilometers east of the border. The three armies would also be named after the three cities in western Poland that they would be guarding, Pozdin, Łódź, and Krakow, which were important Polish population and production centers. Facing these three Polish armies were three German armies, the 8th, 10th, and the 14th, which were grouped under Army Group South and its commander, General von Rundstedt. Rundstedt had the majority of the forces attacking Poland under his command, including the vast majority of its armored formations, around 75%, along with over 525,000 total troops. The German plan was to attack directly into the territories defended by armies Wuj and Krakow, uh, to capture the two cities that bore those names, and then for the 10th Army to continue on its way to attack Warsaw from the south. While this was happening on the left flank of the advance, the German 8th Army would guard against an attack by the Army Posden, while on the German right, a combination of German and Slovakian troops would attack through the Carpathian Mountains. Everything was set up and done in service of getting the German 10th Army, uh, you know, and its two armored and, and three light divisions, to Wuj and beyond. And to beyond, I mean Warsaw. To give some idea of the importance of this attack by the 10th Army, the Germans would commit five full panzer divisions to the invasion of Poland, and two of them, the first and the fourth, would be positioned side by side, right in the middle of the 10th Army's attack, and it just so happened, right in the place where the Polish Wuj and Krakow armies met. 
This would be absolutely perfect positioning due to one of the primary weaknesses of the Polish plan for defense, the lack of rear coordination between the armies. There was no equivalent to an army group level within the Polish organization, and on this area of the front, there, there was not an equivalent of a, of a von Rundstedt who was tasked with making sure the armies were working together correctly. This made coordination between the three Polish forces that were involved in the defense very challenging, and even at times meant routing orders and requests all the way back to Polish headquarters in Warsaw to communicate with a, a unit just, you know, on the other side of a river or a road or just over there. This created a situation where by far the most vulnerable areas of the front were the junctions between armies, not just because of the lack of cooperation, but also the tendency for units to retreat back and often away from those of other armies to their left and right. This had a tendency to create gaps even wider than just a normal retreat by an army, a crucial phenomenon when trying to understand how the central and southern fronts developed over the first few days of the campaign. All of these challenges would always make it more difficult for the Polish units to hold the German troops near the border, but doing so was very important to the overall plan for Polish defense. Behind the shield of the three Polish armies on the border, another army was being created, Army Prusy. This force did not, on September 1st, really exist, because it was going to be created by late mobilizing forces and would not be ready to fight until days after the first attack. Once it was fully organized, it could then be used as the primary counterattacking force against the German invasion with the hope that it would be able to take back most of the territory that the German army had seized up to the point where it launched its counterattack. The problem was that if this plan was going to work, Army Prusy needed time, and that meant it needed the 200,000 men in nine infantry divisions and four cavalry brigades of Army Wuj and Krakow to buy time as much as possible, and to buy time as close to the German border as possible. We will look at this sector by moving from north to south, or the German left to right, or the Polish right to left. It's worth noting that the German side of the attacks in this area did not meet up with the attacks happening against Army Pomorsha that, that we discussed last episode, and there was in fact a gap of several hundred kilometers between the two German efforts. This area of the front would be occupied by Army Poznan, and it would not be directly focused by a German attack. The most action that Army Poznan would see on the first day of the attack would be on its far southern flank, where it would be attacked by elements of the German 10th Army. The goal of the German forces in this area was to secure the northern flank of the German advance and to prevent Army Poznan from attacking the German troops from that were further south, as they hopefully advanced very far into Poland during the opening days of the war. In this area, the same structure of events would occur as what we discussed last episode in several instances, with German reconnaissance units advancing, losing some vehicles due to the presence of Polish anti-tank guns before the Polish defenders were forced to pull back. One of the more noticeable events in this area is notable for all of the wrong reasons. In just one of the many examples of German troops committing violent acts against civilians, the infantry regiment SS Adolf Hitler would murder several civilians in the town of Bolesławice. This would be just one of many such events happening all over Poland in the opening days of the attack, an unfortunate phenomenon that we'll discuss in a little more detail later in this episode. Next in the German line would be the 18th and 19th Infantry Divisions, which were part of General Lieb's 11th Army Corps. 
These troops were going to march forward, with the goal of making it to the Varta River during the first day of the advance. This advance would begin at 4.30 a.m., and for several hours they would encounter no resistance, as the first Polish positions were several kilometers to the east of the border. They were advancing against the 30th Polish Infantry Division, who would make themselves known at the village of Pajemiejo, where fighting would erupt at around 8.30 in the morning. The Polish 83rd Infantry Regiment had been positioned in the area to delay the German advance to the, to the west and to the south of the Werther River, and they would do so with machine guns and artillery. The forwardmost German units had outpaced their artillery, which was not motorized, and so the Polish defense would be able to hold out for most of the day. There was even a, a rare instance of a Polish counterattack in this area, with a unit of Polish tankettes further delaying German efforts to advance by launching their own attack. It would not be until 9 p.m. in the evening that the Polish defenders would decide to retreat. This would be another area where Polish civilians would suffer under the hands of German violence, with some of the German soldiers of the 73rd Infantry Regiment believing that some of the weapons being fired at them were from the hands of Polish civilians, which resulted in 100 men, women, and children being murdered over the course of the day by the 19th Infantry Division near Pajemiejo. In other areas of the advance, attempts were made to cross the Verta River in the afternoon, but these efforts were met by concentrated Polish artillery and machine gun fire by the 84th Infantry Regiment. Eventually, the Germans would be able to cross the river after bringing up artillery and kind of just blasting away at the Polish defenders. And when they were able to cross, the entire Polish 30th Division would be forced to retreat out of fear that individual units would be cut off and surrounded, including those that had been defending Pajemiejo throughout most of the day. Before we go any further, um, I do want to mention that when I'm talking about this city of Łódź, um, I'm actually referring to what you may know as Lodz or Lodz or Lodge or however else you might pronounce the letters L-O-D-Z uh, in English. Um, that's not how it's pronounced in Poland, so I'm going to go with the Polish pronunciation, which hopefully I'm pretty close with. But I thought it was worth explaining to everyone, uh, because I think Lodz is a much more common pronunciation in English. Um, and so hopefully that grounds you a little bit more in kind of where I'm talking about. And also, if you, if you want to search for it, it's, it's L-O-D-Z if you want to see a map of it. To the south of the 18th and 19th Divisions was the primary point of focus for the German advance, because it was here that the 4th and 1st Panzer Divisions were arranged side by side under the command of General Erich Hoppner. The goal of these two divisions was to punch through any Polish resistance on the way to a path that took them to the south of Łódź and towards Warsaw. These two armored divisions had been positioned at one of the most vulnerable areas of the Polish front, being right on the border between Army Łódź to the north and Army Krakow to the south. Due to the coordination issues experienced by the Polish armies, this was probably the ideal place for a German armored attack. The 4th Panzer would have to contend with the southern units of the Polish 30th Infantry, and then a cavalry brigade which had prepared some defensive positions which the 4th Panzer would encounter at about 8 a.m., the forward elements of the 4th Panzer would be halted by anti-tank guns, uh, manned by the Polish cavalry, and at around 10 a.m. they would choose the path of most resistance by launching frontal assaults on the Polish positions. In these assaults, many of the shortcomings of the German tanks would be made clear, with the Panzer 1s and, and 2s vulnerable not just to 35mm anti-tank guns, but also anti-tank infantry rifles. 
The Polish defenders would also use some 75mm artillery pieces in an anti-tank role, which was not what they were designed for, but their fast fire rate kind of made up for any downsides they may have had as they fired at tanks. In fact, one 75mm gun would be credited with knocking eight German tanks out of action. On this area of the front, a Polish armored train would also get involved, its number being 53, and it would engage Polish tanks with its 100mm and 75mm guns, which would knock out several German tanks of the 4th Panzer. Even with the various successes that, that the Polish defenders had, eventually the Germans' attacks would be successful, due to weight of numbers, if nothing else. The Polish cavalry would then retreat late in the afternoon after completely destroying 24 German tanks and disabling 38 more. The efforts of the 4th Panzer would be a good example of the best-case scenario for Polish defenders, with German commanders making the mistake of a frontal assault. To the south of the 4th Panzer, the 1st Panzer would take a different approach in its attacks against the 7th Infantry Division. The Polish 7th Infantry Division was the northernmost unit of Army Krakow, with the expectation that it would maintain contact with Army Group Wuj to the north. To assist them in these efforts, they would be able to utilize the very well-built and prepared Polish defenses around Czestochowa, which included 19 large concrete bunkers, well-built field works, and, and many other defenses. During the early hours of the attack, the 1st Panzer and the 14th German Infantry, which was directly to their south, would push the Polish defenders from their advanced positions near the border to the defenses around Czestochowa. And then, the 1st Panzer did something very smart. Instead of attacking the Polish defenses, it simply moved north of the city, taking advantage of the growing gap between the 7th Polish Division of Army Krakow and the Polish Cavalry Brigade to the north that was so busy with the 4th Panzer. The situation would have been even worse for the Poles, but the advance of the 1st Panzer was hampered by the poor state of many Polish roads in the area, with only a few primary roads being paved and the rest being dirt at best. The state of the Polish road network would be a constant problem for German armored units throughout the campaign. Even with the road issues, by choosing to work around the Polish defenses and leaving them to be dealt with by the 14th Infantry and other units, the 1st Panzer was able to quickly move up to the Warta River and then cross the river unopposed. This created the nightmare situation for Polish commanders, even though, even though ensconced in strong defenses near Czestochowa, you know, they might be surrounded. That, that entire division might be surrounded. And this possibility forced the order to be given to the 7th Infantry, again, in very strong defenses, to abandon the city and abandon those defenses and begin to retreat to the east. Then this further widened the gap between the two Polish armies, as the 7th Infantry was retreating southeast while the troops to the north were retreating directly east, so the gap kept getting wider over the next several days. This is the best example of the challenges faced by the Polish armies, with Army Wuj focusing on mounting a defense of Wuj itself, and Army Krakow focusing on defending Krakow, because that was the city where it was based. With these two cities and their positioning, it inadvertently kind of pulling the armies apart. The situation further deteriorated when the 7th Infantry would in fact be surrounded and cut off, leaving a gaping hole in the Polish defensive line. Back at Polish headquarters, concerns about the situation between Wuj and Krakow would result in orders being given to the commander of Army Prusy, which was being formed up as a counterattack force, remember, to provide reinforcements to Army Wuj in the hopes that those troops would help stabilize the situation. 
This attempt would be unsuccessful, and over the next two days, that being September 3rd and 4th, the Polish front would largely collapse. There would be attempts by Polish units to stop or delay the German advance, like when the Polish tanks of the 301st Light Tank Battalion engaged and destroyed 15 German tanks and armored cars at the cost of seven Polish tanks, or the efforts of General Tomi to, to use a thrown-together hodgepodge of Polish units to slow the advance of the 4th Panzer south of Łódź. But none of the scattered Polish resistance could reverse the overall inertia of what was happening in western Poland with the general retreat of all Polish forces to the east and to the north. This also included Army Poznan, which had not been, you know, in direct contact with German units except for on its far left flank, and had even been able to briefly launch an attack into German territory on September 2nd. But as we've already discussed in several smaller instances, Army Poznan would be forced to retreat due to fear of being surrounded. By September 6th, the front around Wuj would be in a state of full collapse, a situation made worse by the events that were happening to the south, with Army Krakow having a, let's say, a very poor time in its attempts to stop the German attack, events that we will cover next episode. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. One of the most unfortunate legacies of the Second World War is the scale and scope of human suffering caused by the conflict. All around the world, ordinary, innocent civilians would find themselves as the recipients of violence that they in no way deserved or could defend themselves against. We will be discussing these events a lot on the podcast over the next, I don't know, however many years this thing takes. But it starts in Poland. When the Germans invaded Poland, the violence of the battlefield would also be present in villages, towns, and cities all over Poland. The number one thing I want to get across in discussing violence against Polish citizens is that it was not a simple matter of a few bad units, or a few specific instances. It was everywhere. During this episode, we will only discuss a few instances of that violence, and maybe touch on some of the larger death totals, but violence against civilians, the murdering of innocent civilians, happened everywhere along the course of the invasion. There are many reasons that the violence was so widespread, you know, the general racism present in Germany and amplified by years of Nazi propaganda, the unfortunate realities of war, and also the official orders given by German officers to their units. To put it in modern terminology, 
the rules of engagement were very permissive towards using violence, with one German general telling his troops that they must respond to any Polish francateur using the most extreme severe measures, with another saying that there would be no mercy shown to any Polish civilian that carries a weapon. Another German officer would tell his men, quote, See in every Polish citizen a fanatically enemy who will fight against you with every means possible. End quote. When these kinds of orders were combined with existing feelings towards Poles and the amplified stress and violence of war, the result was almost inevitable. While all Poles were in danger, Polish Jews would experience even greater violence, with some just being shot on sight while others would suffer the same types of humiliations that had been used against German Jews during the earlier years of the 1930s, with Jews being forced to clean the streets of cities. They were paraded around those cities while being beaten by German soldiers, and then they were executed. Jewish businesses and homes were looted, and anything inside was up for grabs for soldiers to take as they pleased. Just to give a few specific examples of some of the events that would occur during the first week of the invasion, we'll start with the village of Tornowitz, which would see fighting between the Polish units and 41st German Infantry Regiment. This included a clash at night, which the German troops attributed to local civilians. This resulted in the German troops moving into the village and begin simply shooting the civilians that they saw, while also setting several buildings on fire. When people then tried to escape from their burning houses, they were shot on sight. Then all the men who were still alive in the village were arrested, stood in line, and then half of them were executed. Examples like this are important because it clearly shows that the actions of German military units were, were not random. They, they weren't mistakes. They, they weren't the consequence of confusion and the speed of combat. It also included slow, methodical, and targeted acts of violence. 34 villagers would be killed in Tornowitz. There are so many examples of this type of event. In Zwaschew, the 95th Infantry Regiment and the SS Liebstadart would kill 200 men, women, and children. In Kajetonovice, 72 would be killed, with some shot and some burned alive after buildings were set alight. In the city of Bidgost, there would be a spree of violence that would span multiple days. On September 6th, it would start with a full search of the town, with the excuse that the Germans were looking for weapons for those who had previously been involved in the killing of ethnic Germans who had previously fired on retreating Polish soldiers. During this process, the Germans would drag people from their homes and force them to stand in the streets for hours, sometimes just making them wait there the whole time. Some would then just be executed on the spot, based on ac accusations from local Germans that they had been involved with earlier events. Others were arrested and taken for interrogation. On September 7th, after a few instances of German troops being shot at in the city, the campaign of violence was escalated, with German units being told to take hostages from among the civilian population and then to publicly execute them if there were any further acts of violence against Germans. Those acts of violence would then occur with a group of teenage boys, local Boy Scouts, being executed by German machine guns. According to one witness, quote, Unaware of what awaited them, these poor children joked and even played games amongst themselves. They realized the truth only when they were made to line up and the machine guns were brought. Some of the little ones began to cry, but the others gave proof of their most admirable courage, end quote. Along with these and many other acts of violence which were committed by German military units, there were also dedicated groups of Germans, primarily under the SS and the police, which were sent to pursue what I would call a neutralization campaign. These were the famous Einsatzgruppen. 
They would move into areas of Poland after the Wehrmacht troops had captured territory and proceed with their efforts to pacify the local population. The men in these units were assured that they would not be blamed or criticized for executing Polish citizens as long as they looked suspicious. One example of their efforts would be once again near the city of Bydgosk, where they would do what was called a cleansing action with the entire area searched. During just one day of this, 120 Poles would be executed, with hundreds more arrested. 150 would then be executed in some nearby woods. Einsatzgruppen would also move into Bydgosk and would continue the previous efforts of German military units to fully pacify the local civilians. The estimates of their actions vary during this time, but at least 1,300 Polish civilians would be executed in just the first 12 days of the occupation of just this one city, with hundreds more sentenced to execution over the next several months. While violence was occurring all over Poland, some Poles would elect to take their chances as refugees instead of taking the risk of being in German-occupied territory. Often those that chose to take to the road would be forced to do so with only very limited possessions. Christine Zamuska Penik, a 22-year-old Pole in 1939, who belonged to a wealthy family, would later write, quote, A seemingly endless stream of refugees continues to arrive in horse-drawn wagons, on foot, a few in cars. Most of the exiles clutch only meager possessions and perhaps a small amount of food. Yet inevitably, these people are accompanied by the family pet. Dogs of every breed and station roam randomly, as lost and confused as their masters. End quote. Christine's account, which is widely available, entitled Have You Forgotten? A Memoir of Poland, 1939-1945, to is full of interesting details. I highly recommend checking it out. For example, when her family arrived at their country estate, it rapidly became apparent that they would need to leave and move further east. So they decided to feed as many people as possible by slaughtering their livestock, because they could not take the animals with them when they continued eastward and the Germans were about to arrive. She would say, quote, We have managed to feed these people, often as many as 300 a day, by slaughtering our pigs, chickens, turkeys, and cows. It is senseless, after all, to preserve the animals for the Germans. End quote. Christine's group would then find themselves in the path of the Soviet invasion of Poland's eastern territories as they moved east, which forced them on a train to Lvov. Quote, for two days and two nights, we must stay on this train. Without food or water, we stand in interminable hours, sandwiched body to body, legs swollen and hailing the, the dust, the cheap vodka, the breath of hatred from the many who are drunk. End quote. Eventually, with the German and Soviet forces meeting and occupying all of Poland, Christine would make her way back to the family's country estate where she had started and where she would live under German occupation. Regardless of the situation that Poles found themselves in during the first weeks of the invasion, rather than whether they stayed where they lived or they, they took to the roads, it was a time of, of great danger, of fear, and of suffering. Unfortunately, the suffering of Polish civilians was only just beginning. <laughs> 